If you have your Bibles with you, or it's printed in your bulletin as well, uh, Luke 8, 40 through 56. Please follow along as I read this passage. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was the ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed him. And there was a woman who had discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all who were weeping and mourning for her, but he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned. And she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord God, thank you for your word. Your word is power, and it is comfort to our hearts. Lord, may the words of these stories challenge our living. May we learn to trust in you in all things, both in difficult times and good times, both in the joyous moments and the times of suffering and sorrow. Lord, bless this word now in the words of our pastor, Andrew. We pray all this in your strong name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. Some of you know that I was sick this past week. It was really miserable. Uh, so I'm glad to be upright and able to open God's Word with you this week. 
or this morning. It's also good to be down a little bit and have time to reflect. I certainly had plenty of that this week, so uh, hopefully it will bear some fruit for us this morning. Uh, we've entered into the season that we call Lent. Uh, Lent, for those of you who wonder, like, what is it about? Is it about giving up something? Is it about, you know, what, what exactly is Lent about? Lent is about the approach to the cross, uh, the empty tomb, Easter. Uh, Lent is about drawing close to Jesus and, and allowing him to, to draw close to us. And, and that really is the perfect theme for this story. Uh, for this story is about people drawing close to Jesus. We have two different examples. We have Jairus, this synagogue ruler, and then we have this woman, this unnamed woman with the issue of blood, and we're going to be walking through their stories this morning. But the bigger question is this, you know, how is it that God, uh, the God of the universe, would be one that we as finite creatures could draw close to? Or, or how would it be that he would draw close to us? If you get the Friday letter, you maybe saw the tweet that I shared. It's not <coughs> <coughs> sorry. It's not my tweet, uh, but it went out this week over a, a Twitter account run by uh, a group of atheists, and their intention through this was to sort of make fun of and pos posit as incredulous uh, the idea of Christianity. What they say is. Christianity is the belief that one God created a universe 13 billion years old, 93 billion light years in diameter, consisting of over 200 billion galaxies, each containing an average of 200 billion stars, only to have a personal relationship with you. Now, not exacting the, the science of all of that, because that, frankly, is beyond my understanding. Uh, the, the, the thing that they are positing is incredulous, that there would be this almighty God who made all of this incredible universe would actually be interested in having a relationship with an individual such as me or such as you is actually true. And it's actually why we're here, and it is so amazing that we want to understand it more. We want to we want to grasp that because this is uh, precisely the wonder of the gospel that that we want to proclaim. And, and like I said, this story, uh, as much as any other story in, in the scripture, really brings that into clear focus for us. The the fact that that God knows and cares about individuals in the middle of all of the, the swirling galaxies and all of the, the billions of stars, God actually knows and sees you and understands you and understands your longings. One of the things that we will hopefully see this morning is he understands your longings maybe even better then you understand your longing. So I want to walk through this story. A lot of interesting conversations after the first service. One lady told me that this was always her favorite story as a kid growing up. Uh, whenever the parents asked for, you know, story requests from the Bible, it was always dead girl, sick woman. 
Uh, so that was her description of the story. So let's dive through uh, the dead girl, sick woman story and uh, see what we can draw out. There are, it's told in all three of the synoptic gospels, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 5, and then here in Luke chapter 8. Each one of them uh, shares little details with us that, uh, uh, from their perspective, how they are, are writing it. Matthew is the shortest account. Luke is one of the longest account. In it, we have this sort of sandwich of a story where you have Jairus, who is a synagogue ruler, an important person in the community, uh, who has a daughter who is sick, and he comes to Jesus seeking for Jesus to heal this daughter. In the middle of it, we have uh, a, an encounter that Jesus has with this sick woman. It's a woman who has had a, a discharge of blood, an ongoing menstrual problem uh, for 12 years. Interestingly enough, the daughter is 12 years old, and uh, the woman has had this issue of blood for 12 years. And here we see Jesus' dealing with with both of these situations. As we walk through it this, this morning, I, I want us to see a couple of things, and we want to start at this point. What is it that brought both of these people, Jairus and this woman, into contact with Jesus? And the answer is their, their need, right? Their, their desperate need is what brought them into contact with Jesus. For Jairus, we understand it. The text tells us this is his only daughter. She's 12 years old. She has a personality. She's lived life. Uh, he's experienced her and his wife they, together, brought her into the world. And they look at her and they love, their, love this child. They see the potential. They see all of these things. And now she has this sickness that is threatening to take his, her life. And so in his desperation, Jairus goes to this one that he's heard as a healer, this one who has developed a reputation, this one who uh, has invaded our mundane world, our material world with the miraculous uh, and has done amazing, amazing things. Maybe, just maybe, this one can work a miracle in the life of his daughter and can heal her sickness and can restore her to health so that they can continue their relationship together. The desperate need, healing of the sick girl, drives Jairus to Jesus. On the other hand, we have this woman. She also has a desperate need. Uh, her need is her own illness. Uh, she has had this discharge of blood, which you can just imagine. I had another uh, woman share with me after the service today experiencing something similar and just talking about the, the effects that that has, you know, your anemia and your strength and all of the different things, not to mention the psychological and social embarrassment that you might have if you had that condition right now, nonetheless having it back then. Because back then, there was, uh, there was that sense of uncleanness that went with this. You were ceremonially unclean. You couldn't go into the temple. You couldn't be in normal society. You were completely, completely isolated. 
one writer puts it this way, the isolation experienced by the bleeding woman wasn't the usual sort of week or two that you might have. It was 12 years, 12 years without access to worship, 12 years of gossip whispered behind her back. Mothers would have warned their daughters, don't go near her, she's unclean. 12 years without a caress, a touch, an inviting smile. 12 years of desperate exclusion, loneliness, and shame. It is our desperation that drives us to Jesus. For both Jairus and for this woman, there was that acute sense of desperation to where else could they turn. In this sense, we need to welcome desperation. We we may think that our lives are better off when everything goes smoothly. We may think that our lives are better off when the seas are calm, when the sails are set, and we are continuing on into the sunset on the journey that we have set for ourselves. But one of the things that this text reminds us is it's our desperation that drives us to Jesus. When everything is calm and when the sails are set and we are underway, we do not always think of our need for Jesus. We do not always remember to go to him. We do not always cry out to him as we do when we are desperate. It's our desperation that drives us to Jesus. It's our desperation that makes us cry out to him when we're feeling that financial desperation. We go to Jesus when we are feeling that relational desperation. God, help me. Help me with this friend. Help me with my brother or my sister. Help me in my marriage. When we feel that desperation, we find ourselves going to Jesus. When we understand the desperation of our sin. You know, we talked about coming into the presence of this most holy God, and we look inside and we see that we are so bent, so crooked, so broken, and we say, God, I have tried day after day, year after year to get rid of this sin, and I can't. It clings to me in our desperation We go to Jesus, and one of the things that this story helps us remember, uh, especially when it's all said and done, is that the desperation is actually a gift in our lives. It may take us a little while to think about and get our minds around, and it may take the completion of the story to actually believe it uh, and to actually learn to welcome it in a different way. But it is the first observation I want to make for you this morning. And, And then sort of a corollary of this is that it doesn't matter who you are or how you come. Jesus welcomes the desperate. We see this with these two different types of people. On the one hand, you have Jairus. He's someone. He's a a man of significance, which we recognize in that culture. If you were a man, you have a significant place, like being a synagogue ruler. This made him a someone. And he comes before Jesus face forward, and he uh, approaches him boldly, Uh, 
feeling that he has at least a, a right to be there. On the other hand, you, you have the woman, uh, which again, automatically in that culture, puts her a step down. She's unnamed. Jairus is given to us by name. She's, she's a no one. Uh, and, and she's isolated, and she's unclean, and she's not welcome in society. And she comes to Jesus not in front of him, but she comes behind in the press of the crowd, thinking, if I can just, if I can just touch his garment. But Jesus pays attention to both of them. I mean, he, he shockingly pays attention to both of them, whether you are someone or whether you are no one. You are welcome in your desperation to come to Jesus. One writer puts it this way, when life crowds in with all of its pressures, there's still room for us, no matter if you're someone or if you're no one, to creep up behind Jesus, even if that's all that you feel you can do, to reach out and to touch him in that odd mixture of fear and faith that characterizes so much of Christian discipleship. Our desperation, whether you are someone or no one, drives us to Jesus. And Jesus meets and receives that. And then, secondly, Jesus exposes to us that we are not desperate enough. Jesus exposes to us that whatever brought us to him uh, may not be the depths to which he wants to meet us in. He exposes to us that we are desperate, but not enough or possibly not about the right things. Think about it. What is it that brought each of these people to Jesus? For Jairus, as we've already mentioned, it was the fact that his only daughter was sick, uh, and he was looking for healing for his only daughter. Jesus uh, stops uh, on his way. Now, you may think that there is some horrible, one writer uses the term malpractice going on here in terms of Jesus being the great physician. On the one hand, you have the young woman or the, the daughter who is in an acute situation. She is dying, the text tells us. On the other hand, you have the older woman who is in a chronic situation. This has been going on for 12 years. It, it's likely going to keep going. It's not an emergency that we deal with this. If you were going to triage these two people, you would say, young girl first, uh, older woman second, correct? But that's just the opposite of what Jesus does. Jesus, in his dealing with these people, uh, actually says, we are going to stop our journey towards the young girl who's dying, and we are going to take care of this older woman with the chronic case first. What is going on? What is Jesus trying to do? Well, part of what he's doing is he's exposing to Jairus that there is a deeper need that Jairus has that Jesus wants to meet. Jairus has come to him for healing for a sick girl. But Jesus says there is a deeper problem that exists, and it's not just illness, it's death. 
And I want you to understand, Jairus, that I am not just a healer of the sick, but I'm a raiser of the dead. There is a deeper need. There is a deeper level of faith that I am inviting you to. Similar for the woman. The woman, you know, she comes up behind Jesus and she, she wants to touch his garment. There, there's a great level of faith here and Jesus actually commends her faith uh, where he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, verse 48. Jesus commends her faith, uh, but her faith is towards healing. Her faith is getting this, uh, you know, staunching the flow of blood, getting this to stop. Uh, very similar to Jairus, she's, she's focused on her presenting need. Now, there's nothing wrong with this, uh, and we all have presenting needs that bring us to Jesus, and, and that's absolutely okay, and I want you to pay attention to those things. But be aware that Jesus may want to bring you even deeper than what you initially came to him for. Because for this woman, it's not just her, her issue of blood. He wants her to experience that shalom, uh, that, that, that holistic healing that's going to restore her to society. It's going to cause her to come out of her isolation. And, and he asks her to come and to be known in the crowd and to make her requests known because he knows that she needs more than just the physical healing. She needs the complete and total restoration and this is what Jesus wants to do for her. Just pausing a minute to, to think about this in, in our own lives. Um, I had to do some confessing this week um, because I recognize that I am so much like these two. I have my own agenda that I want Jesus to follow and to bless. I have my, my needs that I come to him and I, and I say to him, God, if you could heal this or fix that or if you could manage this or, or do that, that's what I need. <clears throat> and what I have to realize, and I think what God is inviting us to realize, is he wants us to come to him and just simply surrender, to say, Lord, do with me what you will. Here's what I know. Here's what I know about my heart. Here's what I know about my body. Here's what I know about my relationships. But I want to surrender it all to you and have you do what really needs to be done. Because you know, Lord, what I need. You know the deepest level that I am holding on to, that I am not believing you for. I might believe that you can heal the sick, but do I really believe that you can raise the dead? And if I believe that, how would that change my life? I may believe that you can staunch this flow of blood, but do I really believe that you can make a no one someone? That you can love them, that you can accept them. It's a challenging place to be, and it's part of the reason why God makes us wait. I mean, have you ever noticed that? 
Some of you, you know the story about Lazarus when he's sick and the disciples and Jesus get word Lazarus is sick and, and it says they delay for four days before they, they go and they, they walk out. In the meantime, Lazarus dies and, you know, the people are struggling to understand this, especially Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters. They said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would still live. We, we know that you can heal the sick. But Jesus wants them to know that he is much more than a charlatan who can heal our felt needs. He can deal with our greatest needs. He can raise the dead. And so he makes us wait. Maybe some of you are in that waiting period right now. Uh, maybe it's financial. A lot of these things that we've talked about, financial, relational, uh, our bodies, a sickness, we're, we're in that waiting phase. And, and we get frustrated because we're like, God, why, why aren't you doing this right now? Why aren't you doing this in the way that I think would be best for it to be done? But you may very well be in the waiting room where God is inviting you to, to throw yourself even more on him and to experience him as more than you thought he might be. Charles Spurgeon, he talks about waiting this way. He said, if the Lord Jehovah makes us wait, let us do so with our whole hearts. For blessed are all they that wait for him. He is worth waiting for. The waiting itself is beneficial. It tries our faith. It exercises patience. It trains submission. It endears the blessing when it comes. The Lord's people have always been awaiting people. He's exposing to us a deeper need, and he's exposing to us a greater fulfillment than we would have ever asked or imagined on our own. And that's where we go finally here. It, you see, with both of these people, with Jairus, the synagogue ruler, with the unnamed woman, the no one, uh, he gives them far more, far more than they came to him for. Jairus came to him hoping he could heal a sick girl. Uh, the, the woman came to him hoping he could staunch her flow of blood. But he gives them more than that. I've already alluded to a little bit of that. But in Jairus's case, uh, what Jesus gives him is a greater understanding uh, of life and death. He gives him a greater understanding of, of who he was as Jesus, as the Messiah, and what it was that he came to do. Jairus was hoping that he could heal his sick daughter. But what happened is, is that Jesus raised his dead daughter. Jesus reached out his hand, and he says to this one, Talitha Kumi, says, rise up, little girl. And he returns her to her parents. He orders them to get her some food, to go back to normal everyday life. And we recognize that Jesus is more than a physician. But he is the one who has come to deal with death itself. And this is the mission that Jesus came to because you see, ultimately, for all of us, 
Uh, Our deepest, deepest need is the alienation that death has brought into the world. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, what came into the world was death. Now, it course, manifests itself in physical death. Each one of us is, uh, share this in common. We are all going to die at some point. I mean, the young, old, we, we are all going to die. Uh, but the deepest problem with that physical death is that it mirrors our spiritual condition. A- and it mirrors that apart from a Savior, we are separated from the love of Christ. And when Jesus takes that little girl by the hand and he demonstrates that he has the power over death, it is pointing forward to the fact that when he goes into that tomb, he goes into it as the victor over death. And when he arises out, death is defeated. We come looking for Jesus to make our lives better, more manageable. But Jesus says, I I want you to live not only now, but on into eternity. I want you to not fear death. Do you notice what he says you know, in verses 49 and 50? While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. You know, he, he can't help you anymore. But Jesus, hearing this, answered him and said, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. This is what Jesus is inviting us to, resting, surrendering on the one who has conquered death by going to death. And rising again. This is what Lent is about. This is where we're looking. We're looking to the cross. We're looking to the empty tomb. We're saying, Jesus, plant this truth deep in our hearts. Because when we understand death is defeated, it changes our entire life. Like, what can touch us? What do we have to be afraid in? If you afraid of, if you believe that you are held by the hand of the one who has conquered death, there is absolutely nothing to fear when we know this one. And secondly, when we know him as one who deeply, deeply loves us. Notice the the unnamed woman. The passage, uh, Jesus says, you know, what's happened? Somebody's touched me. Uh, She comes. She sees that she is not hidden, verse 47. She comes trembling and falling down before him, declares in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, how she'd been immediately healed. And he says to her, Verse 48, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. We get Jairus, right? Jairus' only daughter is in crisis. And so he acts, and and we're acting with him. We're like, yes, save the daughter. But Jesus reminds us here that everyone is seen who comes to him. 
He sees them all. She was not hidden. And he knows her, this no one. He knows her as daughter. Thugater. It's the only time that this word is used for an adult in all of the Gospels. But Jesus is helping us understand that not only is he the master of death, but he is also the one who sees, the lover of our souls. We are not hidden from him. He sees us, and he loves us, and he knows us. And I know that there are some sons and daughters here that need to be reminded of that today. You know, like a cold shower on a hot day or a warm shower on a cold day. You, you, you need to hear, daughter, son, you are not hidden. I see you. I love you. I know you. You see, when these two things come together, you, you have the most powerful cord that you can have in the universe. The cord of an absolute Savior who has done everything to demolish the separation that exists between you and God. And an absolute lover of your souls that will stop at nothing and remind you that you are seen and that you are not hidden. It will transform the way that you walk through life. One writer put it this way, this woman would have been satisfied with the physical healing, but her Savior would not. He forced her to come to him and to be in relationship with him, to fall down before him, to come out of the shadows in the full light of day because he loved her and he was inviting her in. Another writer put it this way, there is all the difference in the world between being a superstitious person who gets a bodily healing and a life-transformed follower of Jesus for all eternity. Which are you today? I mean, it's a question that always comes to us. Uh, are, are you looking for how Jesus can adjust your outward circumstances don't despise those circumstances. They, they might be just the desperation that leads you to Jesus. But part of the invitation is, can you see beyond those to your deeper need? Are, are you allowing Jesus to speak to you, not just of a physical healing in the here and now or a rectifying of your financial situation or your ability to deal with your addiction or whatever that uh, desperation is, but are you allowing him to speak to you of death defeated and what that might mean for you both now and in eternity and a relationship where you know that he sees you, you are not hidden, and that he loves you? Some friends of ours, members of our church in St. Louis, uh, a number of years ago, about four years ago, um, got a notification that the wife and mother, she is now in her early 40s, uh, was diagnosed with cancer and that it was not going to be curable and that there were certain treatments that they could do to stave things off, but eventually 
it was going to take her life. Uh, this past week, as she sort of shares about their journey, uh, she says this, and I share this with you because I, I think it's a great example of how we come to Jesus with one set of needs, and, and he meets us uh, in a way that is so much more than we ever could have asked for or imagined. So let her words teach us this morning. Today feels momentous. This morning I had my last appointment at the cancer center. I was grateful for the opportunity to say goodbye to so many kind souls who have cared for me well during this journey of the last four years. I'll be transitioning to hospice care for my remaining months to make the process smoother for myself and for my family. Then I sat down to finish the last three chapters remaining in my trek through the Bible this past year. I can't even begin to express the life, the growth, the understanding, the joy, the peace, the goodness that I have known through the daily soak in his word. God has revealed himself in ways unimaginable to me, even just a year ago. His word truly is life and prepares me for this next season as nothing else can. Truly, we are transformed as we gaze into the law of liberty and behold increasingly the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We live in a culture that tries to deny and hide death as a reality, but there is an infinite value in considering our mortality and learning to lean into the hope of the gospel and into the great and precious promises our triumphant Savior gives us in his word to face this reality with grace and peace. He has removed death's sting, and we no longer have to cower in fear or uneasy avoidance. What great salvation he has worked for us in Christ, the lover of our souls. We come to the Lord Jesus with our needs. And he says, I know. I, I see those needs. And I may answer those prayers in the here and now. I may answer your prayers for healing in the forever after. But what I will give you is the absolute assurance that I have conquered death and that you are not hidden from me. Come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the Lenten invitation that we have here to find rest in you and your finished work of the cross. Lord, we pray that you would meet each one of us in our places of desperation and take us even deeper. Take us even deeper into uh, wild realms of our heart that are even unknown to us. But in the process, Lord, we ask that you would remind us and that you would teach us that you are the ultimate Savior who has conquered not only sickness, but has conquered everything that separates us from the love of God. And you are now pouring that love upon us through the finished work of Christ. Father, we pray that we would be given the faith to receive this. Do not fear, only believe. We hear your voice today in Jesus' name.
Amen.